0: Hey guys, I'm Cece. I'm Jess. Welcome to Myth and Macabre, where we dive into the world of the paranormal, supernatural, and everything creepy in between. In today's episode, join us while we take a look into the Union Cemetery in Easton, Connecticut. This will be another episode featuring Ed and Lorraine Warren. Enjoy! Good morning, Jess. Good morning happy dreary thursday
1: yes it is it is a very dreary thursday
0: kind of surprised we haven't like gotten any serious snow yet we're like coming up on january (sighs) no i love the snow just wanted to apologize in advance for my voice i've been a little bit under the weather so if it cracks out for a minute sorry but i figured today was a dreary wonderful day To talk about cemeteries.
1: Yay! I love cemeteries.
0: Me too. And I'm pretty stoked we're going to be heading to Connecticut for this one today. And we haven't really done many episodes about Connecticut, so I'm kind of excited to jump in.
1: Yeah, I think we just had like that one little blurb about it in the, was it, the Mercy Brown. And that's kind
0: of a disservice, right? We're like, hey, here's our New England podcast, but we didn't talk about Connecticut. (laughs) (laughs) Which is funnier if you live in New England. Yeah. But, yeah, so I figured we could jump into the Union Cemetery in Eastern Connecticut. Okay. Nope. I said Eastern, and I meant Easton.
1: Well, is, it, <laughs> is Easton in Eastern Connecticut? <laughs> no,
0: actually, it's in Western Connecticut near the New York Line.
1: Okay, so we're going to Western Connecticut.
0: Yes. But, yeah, so let me uh, kind of give you an intro, and we can jump in. Cool. With headstones dating back to the 1700s, Union Cemetery in Easton, Connecticut, isn't the oldest cemetery in the state, but it is considered to be the most haunted. In fact, according to our favorite New England paranormal couple, Ed and Lorraine Warren, which they come up a lot in this episode, Lorraine has said, quote, I can tell you that I know for a fact that this place is haunted. It's one of the most haunted places around. And while there have been all kinds of different accounts of orbs and disembodied voices, cold spots and neck hairs standing on end, it seems that the Union Cemetery has two notable haunters, the White Lady and Red Eyes. That's... um, Are they the worst ghost names ever? Because they drive me a little nutty. (laughs) It's like, it's unnerving, like the White Lady and the Red Eyes. Yes, so throughout today's episode, I do kind of interchange the white lady with the lady in white. Okay. I think it sounds better, but the Warrens called it the white lady and the other spirit red eyes. Okay. Very original naming. I mean, I'm going to
1: assume that one is a lady in white and the other one has red eyes.
0: I think the other one is just red eyes. I don't even think it's a whole entity. Okay. Okay. But I'd love to tell you about that. <laughs> I would love to hear about them. <laughs> so as far as histories go, like most cemeteries, there's not a whole lot of history behind the Union Cemetery. Aside from its hauntings, there's not a lot of eventfulness in its past. The headstones date back to the early 1700s. I believe the oldest standing headstone is from 1761. So definitely an older cemetery. Is it still like used today I believe so so I saw there's something. like I don't headstones. think there's like a ton of current headstones but I think family plots and things like that still have people being buried there today I mean that's kind of cool yeah but it's kind of just a run-of-the-mill cemetery there's not a whole lot of eventful things going on it'll kind of come up a little bit later there are a lot of people in there with the last name Seely okay. there was a gentleman who came across with the Massachusetts Bay Colony and he and most of his descendants are buried in this. cemetery. That makes sense. Yeah. So it's kind of a creepy graveyard from what I could tell by pictures. There's like a rusty like wrought iron fence around it and the headstones are from the 1700s so they're like really old. It's definitely got creepy cemetery vibes going on. I definitely
1: Um, want to go there.
0: It looks like a really (laughs) fun place to go and it is upkept by there's a union cemetery association that works off of donations and they kind of you know they keep the cemetery nice it's not an overgrown creepy like cemetery by day it looks pretty normal and yeah
1: it's like well kept it's it's not like the one near my old house that you wanted to clean up for your senior yes exactly yeah
0: the (laughs) one that was like totally you didn't even know it was a cemetery right so yeah it's it's a cute little place from what it looks like i would love to go check it out it seems like a like a neat spot But in general, the notoriety of Union Cemetery seems to come from its hauntings, which are much more interesting than its history. I mean, it depends on who you are. (laughs) Well, the history is just like, here's a cemetery. People have been buried here. (laughs) The hauntings are at least a story to tell. That's fair. So for geographical context, which I kind of flubbed up earlier, Easton, Connecticut is in the, it's northwest of Bridgeport, Connecticut, so it's not far from the coastline, and it's not far from New York. It's kind of southwestern Connecticut. And it's also, I did not know until I started doing some research, one town over from where Ed and Lorraine Warren were residing. Okay. Which makes sense. They're a pretty big part of this story. And one report I read actually said that the Warrens lived down the street. Though I don't know if that means that they literally lived, like, on the same road or if that's just like, oh, yeah, they live down the street because they live the next town over.
1: I mean, when I say down the street, that could be anywhere from, like, literally down the street to, like, you know, two towns over. (laughs)
0: Exactly. And so this graveyard is on a road that leads into the town that they lived in. So I'm like, maybe they could have lived on the same street, but I... I'm going to go with, I think it just means they lived, you know, down the street (laughs) in the next town over. But yes, so they are going to be an integral part of this story and they live nearby. I think this was kind of one of their like local pet projects. Okay. So as far as I can tell, the reports of the Lady in White began in the early 90s, which is like way more recent than I would have expected, both for such an old cemetery And for this kind of legend, like a Lady in White legend, feels very antiquated to me. Yeah, it feels like 20s-ish. Exactly. Or like 1800s. Yes, I completely agree. (laughs) So the first written report of the Lady in White involves a man named Rod, and his last name is either Vexy or Vessy. It's spelled V-E-C-S-E-Y. So... I call him Rod from here on out because I don't want to continue butchering his last name. Sounds fair enough. But let me set the scene for you. Rod is working the night shift at a local lumber company in late June of 1991. According to what he later told the Warrens, it was a humid, foggy night after it had rained earlier in the day. And this kind of, I think, sets a very fun tone for the evening, regardless of how true it is. Like, it was a
1: dark, foggy night. Are you sure you did not just see the fog bouncing off your flashlight,
0: sir? (laughs) Right. Or, I mean, are you even recalling this properly? Like, not entirely sure, but I like the idea. Now, I can't find anything besides hearsay to confirm, but it also, rumor has it that Rod has recently won the Connecticut State Lottery for like $2.5 million or something ridiculous like that. And he's just working to keep himself busy.
1: I mean, I feel like, like I like to say that I would quit my job if I won the lottery, and to be fair, I probably would. But I also would need something.
0: To yeah, I don't think I would quit working. I would... <laughs> I would quit my job. I would not quit working. <laughs> but yes, so same thing with Rod. He's still working, but he's got this new Chevy that he's real excited to go take you know, a ride in. So despite the fog, it's a June night in New England. It's a pretty nice night. The rain has stopped. The moon is out. So he decides he's going to take the scenic route home. So you roll. Sure. Is it foggy or is the moon out? <laughs> From what the story sounds like, the fog is on the ground. The moon is in the sky. Okay. Clear up above, foggy down below. As my little
1: one would say, it's a spooky, foggy Halloween night,
0: even in June. <laughs> Perfect. Exactly. And I think that's kind of how Rod was talking about it, too. Okay. Okay. So he gets into his Chevy, he rolls down the windows, he turns up the radio. One recollection says there was like Bruce Springsteen playing on the radio, which he loves. And he's like, I'm gonna take this long way home. I'm not gonna take the roads I normally take. I'm gonna enjoy my Chevy. So it's not long before he's driving down Route 59 and passing Union Cemetery. And as he's driving through, he starts to feel like he's not alone. So he kind of does one of those like glance around your car when you're like, "Ooh, like I don't I don't like what's that feeling." Yeah. So he's looking around his car and he sees a man sitting beside him staring at him. And he describes this man as having stubble on his face, a rumpled brown suit, and a floppy hat. And he says that he seems like he might be some kind of hobo or somebody who Quote hasn't had any luck in a long time.
1: Wait, is the man sitting beside him in the car or on the yes. street? Yes. Okay. No, he is
0: in the car. And so this he just kind
1: materialized of, in the car.
0: Well, so this kind of freaks Rod out because he's like, "Well, there wasn't anybody here when I started driving, and I haven't stopped."
1: I think I would have crashed my car. I would have set it on fire, and I wouldn't have a Chevy anymore.
0: Right. This would have been maybe too creepy for me. So he's pretty distracted by this person sitting in his passenger seat and kind of doesn't know what to do for a second, but ends up like bringing his attention back to the road, which is probably more than I would have been able to.
1: (laughs) Let me just continue watching the road while this strange man is in my passenger seat. Right.
0: I would be like slamming on the brakes and jumping out of my car. But Rod, being a responsible driver, is like (laughs) got to pay back attention to the road. I don't know what's going on. And in this area of Route 59... It's very much a country road. It's dark. There are trees on both sides of the road. Knowing New England, there's probably not any streetlights. <laughs> and it's And there's foggy. potholes. <laughs> yeah. And it's foggy, so it's getting hard to see. So he turns on his high beams Which is not actually the right thing to do in a foggy situation. It's not. It makes it worse. Fun fact.
1: Please don't do that if you find yourself
0: in fog. Yes. So he turns on his high beams and right in front of him, about 100 feet ahead, there is a woman standing in the middle of the road. Is she dressed in white? Oh, yes. (laughs) (laughs) She is in what Rod describes as a tattered white nightgown. She has long brown hair, and Rod claims that she is emanating this kind of blue glowing light. Now, what were you going to say?
1: I was going to say, what does a blue aura mean? (laughs) I'm not
0: sure. I should have looked that up. I'm not really into the whole aura scene. Hold,
1: please. (laughs) Now I'm curious. The blue aura is associated with truth
0: and honesty. Ooh, interesting. That might come back then, maybe. Okay, cool. But so, and now Rod, obviously a better driver than I am, is still keeping his wits about him, and he slams on his brakes, and instead of coming to a stop, his truck or car or his Chevy starts to fishtail, and from here, everything starts to kind of happen all at once. So he's trying to control his car, he looks over, the man that was sitting beside him is gone, which I would think is probably a relief, but who knows. He hollers out his window to the woman telling her to move out of the way, but she doesn't seem to hear him. And before he can get his vehicle to come to a complete stop, he passes through the woman. Not creepy at all. Right? And he says that the best description for what happened was that he could feel the icy cold of her touching his right shoulder and cheek. Big Right? Super creepy. On top of having a mysterious passenger. That disappeared. That has now disappeared. Yeah. (laughs) So not long after, his car finally comes to a stop and he is completely shaken. Like cannot stop his limbs from for moving, according to him. Oh, this is, this is what does it for him? An, yeah. An icy, and cold touch? This was finally the, the biggest bit. So he can still see the woman in his rearview mirror, and he manages to get a better look at her. And he says that her clothes were definitely of a bygone era, and she has an old-fashioned brooch hanging from a chain on her neck. And he notes that around this time, he also starts smelling this really dusty smell. And he says it doesn't smell rotten, but rather like clothing that's been left in an attic for decades. Oh. Which I think this is the first recollection we've had of somebody experiencing something paranormal and having a smell other than rotting flesh. Uh, Yeah. Which I thought was kind of interesting.
1: And also, how do you know what clothing smells like that's been in an attic for decades
0: oh i mean i just assumed it smelled even worse than like clothing that's been in a space saver bag for six months i don't know what that smells like either. oh you know like when you like no have, like, i know what dusty it is sheets like you know what i mean i don't know what it smells I like <laughs> i feel like i could kind of
1: imagine that one. Oh, you know what i think maybe from when my dad lived down at the beach oh yeah yeah That feels right. Yeah, like the couches and those. Yeah, but like worse. Okay. Decades. Yeah, no, I get it now.
0: So he keeps watching her and she begins to walk away and then she just disappears into thin air. He calls out to her to stop before she disappears because he wants to help, but she doesn't hear him and then she's gone. And he is still shaken. He's still sitting in his car. He's still on the road. He hasn't gotten anywhere. And a few moments later, he says that this Overwhelming sense of sorrow sets in.
1: That's so sad.
0: He says he starts shaking, he's crying, he just can't even bring himself to drive his car. He is so overwhelmed by this feeling of sorrow. And it's not until another car comes up the road behind him and starts like laying on their horn, like true New England style. Right. Just like, well, because he like fishtailed, so
1: he's probably like sideways across the road blocking this person at this point. Yes,
0: and he's just worked the night shift, so I'm pretty sure we're talking like middle of the night car comes up behind him starts blaring their horn and finally he kind of gets himself together to go home. And even when he gets home though, he's still struggling with this heavy feeling of sorrow. One report from him what he told the Warrens was like nothing his wife could do would even console him like he just was completely weighed down by this sorrow. Hmm. Interesting. So interesting. Yeah, I thought it was kind of intense. So two weeks later, Rod is telling this story to one of his friends. And some accounts don't, like, this is a nameless friend in some accounts. And in (laughs) other accounts, they're saying that he was talking to his friend, Tony Spera, who is another important player kind of overall in this. Okay. Uh, Tony Spera recommends that he talk to Ed and Lorraine Warren, who are his in-laws. Oh. Yes. So actually, even to this day, Tony Spera runs Ed and Lorraine's, like, estate, basically. Oh, so,
1: like, their museum house thing? Yes, okay. he runs it now. Yeah. Okay,
0: cool. But this was kind of before that. Everybody is still alive and with us at this point. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, you should talk to my in-laws. They they can help you with this. Other accounts say that he just talked to a friend who recommended them, but I feel like Tony I'm comes just... up enough in the story that I'm like, oh, okay, I think he It was probably Tony. Him. Tony! Tony! So, <laughs> So from there, as you can probably guess, the Warrens are now involved with Union Cemetery. And the timelines are a bit muddy here. The story about Rod and the Lady in White is recounted in the Warrens' book called Graveyard, which was published in 1992. And while most reports seem to agree that Rod's experience was the first record of the dealings with the Lady in White, I found some sources that claim that the Warrens were doing some work in the cemetery on September of 1990. So Which a little bit doesn't before. line up. Yeah. So I don't know if they're just clerical errors, if somebody's misremembering something, if the website that I found that information on was just incorrect. Or, like, would they have been doing
1: things in the cemetery, like, in regards to other things prior to?
0: So one website said that they caught the lady in white on film on September 1st of 1990. Oh. And they did capture the lady in white on film. Ooh. I just don't know if it was before or after this experience. Do we have this a experience. photograph
1: of the back of it? Because I'm pretty sure that it would have the
0: date on it, like so, the old
1: picture. video film, not <laughs> oh, video camera film. film. Oh, okay. And the video
0: film is on YouTube. I watched it. <laughs> but I talk about that a little bit later. Okay, we'll get Kind of when we talk about theories behind what might be going on. But so there's a little bit of like a muddy timeline but ultimately the story that i just recalled to you is published in the book graveyard in much nicer language than i paraphrased it (laughs) and that was like rod telling it to the warrens
1: okay so it was just like his account of it so
0: by 1992 yeah everybody has had like what's going on so from what I've read from the Warren side of things, whether it was before or after Rod and his experience, I think it was after. They spent seven nights exploring the cemetery and managed to capture the white lady on film, like I said. So the footage of it, they had most, mostly kept to themselves over the course of their lifetime, they would show it during, like, seminars that they would hold. And if people visited their, like, basement occult museum, they would show it to them. But it wasn't until two years ago that Tony Sparrow, who now runs the official Ed and Lorraine Warren channel on YouTube and their museum, put it online for everybody to see. Oh. Which, really? Like, two years ago? That's what I said. I was like, that's, like, old. Like, it's, it's been a while. Yeah. But he posted them... I think you should definitely watch them, the links in the show notes. I'm going to watch it. It's interesting. It's very grainy. It's very old. It's probably a combination of not only is it old, but it's probably been played multiple times Mm. before it ever got transferred into digital. It is a VHS recording, too, so definition's not great. Mm -hmm. And I guess I would say I'd let you come to your own conclusions. I have some thoughts about it. (laughs) But... It's interesting. There's definitely a figure that is lighter than the background moving. Okay. So Is it a helicopter light? Well, no. Like, whether it's, you know, Lorraine Warren walking in the background, I don't know. But there's a figure (laughs) walking. It's an interesting watch. I definitely think you should check it out. And, yeah. So they wrote about this in their book, like I said. Fun fact about the book on the cover. It says... More terrifying than Stephen King because it's true, which I thought was kind of fun and entertaining. That is fun. And it was also maybe worth noting, this is one of the last books that the Warrens wrote. So they were featured in like the Amityville horror books and things like that in the 70s and 80s, but didn't actually write them. Right. The books they actually wrote, this was one of the last ones. Okay.
1: Yeah, because it's like the 90s and they'd been around for a while.
0: Yeah, by the 90s, they're in like their Mm mid-60s-ish. I think they're kind of starting to slow down a bit. But Rod's experience with a lady in white isn't the only well-documented experience with her. After the book came out about a year later in 1993, and... I guess I should mention, I don't know how much fanfare the book came out to. Like by then the Warrens had been famous for a while, but I don't know if this like self-published book by them. I guess oh, so it was wasn't self-published. Like, it okay. was published by like St. Martin's Press. But But it wasn't like promoted. Yeah, anything. I don't know how much like how promoted it was. I don't know if it's something that people all knew about or if it was something where kind of only people who were mm-hmm. really into it knew about. So I don't know how much the recollection in that book may have influenced this 1993 incident that I'm about to tell you about. It is a bit of a different incident, still kind of along the same lines, but I don't know if the gentleman who had this experience has read this book. But in 1993, an on-duty firefighter named Glenn Pennell also has an experience with the white lady and i couldn't find the date when it happened but it, it's nighttime and glenn is working at the local fire department when they receive a call that a transformer has exploded in monroe connecticut which is the next town over from easton it's the one that the uh the i almost called them the parents the that Lord. the warrens lived in <laughs> so nearby so he hops in his truck and he's with an on-duty police officer and they are headed out to this exploded transformer to start diverting traffic Mm -hmm. pretty standard nothing too crazy so while they're on the road a couple of accounts also note that there is a car that starts tailgating them which i think is kind of weird like I assume even if he's not in like a full blown fire truck, usually like the the fire vehicles are still marked. The fire marshal and they have like the fire plate. Yeah, I'm like, I wouldn't tailgate that car, but I would be nowhere near that car. The driver of this other vehicle does come into play. So it's worth noting that this vehicle was tailgating them. Okay. so they're driving down near Stepney Cemetery, which is a cemetery on the same road as Union Cemetery. It's about four and a half miles from Union Cemetery, but it is a straight shot on this road. And he can tell that they're getting close to the transformer because he notes that there's lots of static electricity in the air and that the, like, the hairs on his arms are standing up because there's just so much like electricity in the air. Right, from the transformer. From the transformer exploding. Okay. And all of a sudden, the police officer who's with him shouts at him to watch out. So he kind of looks up and snaps back to attention. And before them in the road is a woman in a flowy white nightgown with long brown hair.
1: But it's not disheveled?
0: No, there was no notice of being (laughs)
1: disheveled. And also, the police officer is
0: in the fire marshal car? They're together. Yeah, they drove out together and they're going to divert traffic. Is that normal? I feel like that's not normal. I have no idea whether or not that's normal. I do kind of was getting the impression that this might be like a county fire department, which feels like it might be more normal. But I don't really know. (laughs) I couldn't find a ton about Glenn other than his account of this experience with the lady in white. So I don't I wasn't able to, like, dig deeper kind of into the situation because I couldn't even find what fire department he worked for. Okay. He seems to be a real person. I just he seems to not have a whole lot going on on the Internet. (laughs) But so he looks up and he sees this woman and he reports that she looks surprised as he's slamming on the brakes and his brakes don't work fast enough and he hits her and he says that hitting her was like hitting a brick wall he says his truck came to an abrupt stop the back end of his truck like lifted up off the ground a little bit as it like slammed back down there's reports that this left a dent on the roof like the hood of his car and he says she hit the hood of his truck and then fell onto the ground Ooh so definitely a bit different from the experience that rod had of like yeah where it just was like through so like maybe even more disturbing honestly like you hit her and like you're like oh god we're not moving anymore so to me another thing that kind of makes glenn's story even more captivating is that then he claims that the driver of the car behind him gets out of their vehicle and is like i can't believe that you hit that woman okay which no record anywhere of who the driver of this other vehicle is. Not even a name. And there's no, like, report or anything? Or Not that news I could article. find.
1: Okay. <laughs> and it also, doesn't seem like
0: they got in an accident, so it, yeah. it kind of makes sense that there wouldn't be, like, reports.
1: Well, I mean, if he was, like, a witness to a...
0: In general, I, I, don't, I don't seem know. to find very many news articles about know. the Warrens anyway. I don't, I don't know.
1: I, but I also feel like if I was that person, like, tip. Which one I wouldn't be tailgating like a fire marshal car? Or a I mean, I car, try not whatever. to
0: tailgate anybody, but I definitely try not
1: to tailgate people that <laughs> can like like like, pull me over. I would then not get out of my car and accost them, right? <laughs> while they're with a police officer. Well, this is the early
0: nineties. <laughs> I think life's a little different back then. But yeah, he comes out and he's like, "I can't believe you hit that woman." So that implies that this other driver saw her too. And from there, the report says that the three of them worked together to search the area and found nothing, no blood, no clothing, like no evidence at all that the woman was ever there. Except for the dent on the hood. Except for the dent on the hood. Okay. So it seems like, from what I could find, these are the two big accounts for this legend of the lady in white, who now that kind of time has gone on and things have kind of progressed, they, uh, the kind of legend is that she roams this four and a half mile stretch between these two cemeteries. That's a weird place to roam. Yeah. What she's looking for depends on okay. who you think she is. Which to me, this was like my favorite part <laughs> of researching because... There was some stuff to look into, which I thought was really kind of cool. That's always fun. Yeah. So there's some speculation about who she might be. And as time has gone by, ghost hunters, paranormal investigators, the Warrens seem to settle on a couple of options of who it might be. They kind of have it narrowed down a bit. One name that comes up a lot is Harriet B. Seely, And it comes up all over the place. There's a woman who works for the graveyard association who mentions Harriet B. Seely. The Warrens mention Harriet B. Seely. Everyone's like the ghosts of Harriet B. Seely, <laughs> but there is no Harriet B. There Seeley.
1: is no okay.
0: There are two Harriet Seelys in the cemetery, but not B. But no Harriet B. Seely. There is Harriet R. Seely, and then there is a Harriet Seely Bryan. Hi, so, I think I know. I feel this feels, in my opinion, a bit like the conjuring situation where, like, the name mm-hmm. was derived from an actual name, right? But, but it the wasn't story. entirely like factual, right? Makes um, sense. So, I feel I was like, like oh, it tracks <laughs> the Warrens are involved. This might be right. So, I guess we'll start with Harriet Seeley Bryan who's probably the closer to Harriet B. Sealy. I mean, I could see how
1: you would get, like, an R and a B mixed up if you looked at it quickly. And I, they're both
0: named Harriet. Maybe. They're both Sealy's. I get it. Yeah. Um, I did, like, <laughs> go through their family tree. And I made a note of how they're related. So they're, like, cousin-in-laws. Okay. One, which Harriet is it? I'm trying to find my note because it was a little confusing. So Harriet Sealy's husband harriet r seely's husband is harriet s bryan's cousin okay so they come from like a similar line okay harriet s bryan was a seely who married out of the family
1: and harriet Harriet
0: r seely married into the family makes sense so harriet seely bryan is the daughter of elijah and Patience seely and she passed away in 1836 at the young age of 21, shortly after being married to Titus Bryan. And people believe that she is the lady in white, but that instead of being in a nightgown, she's actually in her wedding dress because she died very quickly after her wedding. And they believe that Harriet is so distraught about having passed away so soon after getting married that she wanders Route 59, lamenting her short life and her short love and searching for her lover. And that last part kind of comes from the fact that Titus is from a few towns away and after she passed away, she got buried in her family plot in her hometown, and he went back to his town. Mm-hmm. So this idea that he is not there for her to find and she is wandering trying to find him. Makes sense. Is the kind of the idea behind people that believe Harriet, Seeley Brian is the lady in white. Mm-hmm. The second Harriet, which is Harriet R. Seeley, so the one that married into the family, <laughs> some people believe could also be the lady in white so harriet r seely is the wife of ezra and when she is 27 she gives birth to a son and the day after her son is born he passes away Aww. and due to poor record keeping this also could mean that he was still born mm-hmm. um sometimes they have like the day is off by a day right but he did not really have a life and to the point where he's, like, on his gravestone. Is just his son. It doesn't even have a name. That's so sad. Yeah. And a week later, she passed away as well. Oh. And so they think that it was potentially some kind of postpartum sepsis just because the lack of, like, sanitary hygiene mm-hmm. during what was most likely a home birth. So she passes away a week later, and they are buried in the same same spot, her and her son. That's nice. Yeah. And from what I can find, there are some people that believe that that Harriet is the lady in white and that she is searching for her baby while wandering up and down Route 59. That's such a sad story. Yeah, I thought so too. And I think from what I could find, kind of find people that were talking about why she might be somebody that they consider as the lady in white... They were talking about kind of how there's like a high percentage of women in the Union Cemetery under the age of 30 and a high percentage of children under the age of five and how kind of it shines a light on like infant mortality and struggles of childbirth and things like that. And almost kind of like more of a moral story for the the ghost as opposed to... Like an actual ghost story. Yeah. Which I thought was kind of interesting. I feel
1: like other Harriet's... Is more of like a ghost story.
0: Yes, I yeah. agree. And where Harriet R was also buried with her baby. Yeah, I was gonna say why would she up be down looking for her baby? Doesn't quite it feel doesn't... right. No, I did see one thing that was kind of talking about historical practices at the time. And while her gravestone says that her son is there, there is actually a chance that he's not. I guess it because of infant mortality at childbirth. It was not uncommon for, like, midwives to take the deceased baby and, like, bury it separately before the mother kind of even knew what was going on. That's rude. Um, yeah, I thought it was kind of bizarre, but I think it also had to do with the fact that usually when that happened the mother passed away, like, shortly after. Mm-hmm. So, like, it sounded like some people that were kind of digging into the history of Harriet R. Seeley said that because she died a week after, she might have not even known that her baby didn't make it. Aww. Like, she might have just been in, like, a feverish, like... Yeah, like a septic. Illness. Yeah. Which I thought was really, of the two stories, I was like, that's really... I mean, passing away at 21 is not really any better, but, like, that's really sad. That is sad. So... It seems like, and I've kind of looked at a bunch of different sources to kind of gather this information, but it seems like a lot of ghost hunters nowadays have just decided that the lady in white isn't actually necessary, necessarily, either of the Harriets, but just kind of an amalgamation of young women who have died tragically, which makes the whole thing a little less exciting to me. But yes.
1: is that a, do ghosts do that? Is that a thing?
0: I don't know <laughs> I'm the wrong person to ask okay. <laughs> to me it just kind of detracts from the solid like the the solidness of the whole thing like like oh well she's not this pre- she, she's maybe she's just all women like that doesn't know like that doesn't feel like a ghost anymore I don't think that's how ghosts work I'm sorry. Um, but they kind of talk about because she is a sore a sorrowful ghost instead of a scary ghost that she's kind of this manifestation this is, i found this really interesting article about it and i'm talking about <laughs> it like i'm being sarcastic but it was kind of an interesting article talking about how because she's sorrowful and not scary she's kind of the manifestation of people's fears around death and dying young and that in some ways, she almost serves as a beacon of hope that there is life after the grave. Which I'm like, I don't, haunting a cemetery where you're buried no. doesn't feel hopeful to me.
1: And also if you're just a culmination of a bunch of different people, like...
0: Yeah, I thought it was Why are, a are you haunting weak. a
1: cemetery? Yeah, I thought it was <laughs> a
0: little weak. The person who wrote that article tried to put kind of a positive spin on it. They were like, it would almost be more concerning if she wasn't there. What? Because it would mean there was no life after death. And I'm like, well, there are plenty of not haunted cemeteries. Yeah, I was going to say, so... why doesn't she
1: haunt every cemetery? And why why does this cemetery get a young woman?
0: So I, w- I did mention <laughs> kind of, and I'll probably bring it up again, kind of in my wrap up about whether or not I think these hold a whole lot of water. The woman in white legend of like this tragic young woman, usually in a white outfit with long, dark hair, there are 16 separate countries that have these legends in their mythos. Okay. So it's not something unique to the U.S. I think even in the U.S. there's like five or six different ones across. There's like one in New York. There's one in California. Like, yeah, the lady in white legend is not unique to New England. So it is not. once again, for me, it kind of pokes holes in kind of the, the legend. But to have two accounts is kind of interesting as well. Both accounts seem to have been filtered through the Warrens, as far as I can tell. Mm -hmm. So I don't know.
1: And like, they're similar, but like, there's a lot of differences that are, that are strange to me. Yeah,
0: I, there's a lot going on. But those are kind of the, the theories and the stories behind the woman in white. The other less famous haunter of the Union (laughs) Cemetery was given the name Red Eyes by the Warrens. And his legend is pretty short and sweet. People claim that when they visit the Union Cemetery at night, they start to feel like they're being watched. And when they turn around to see who might be there, they see red eyes peering back at them from the bushes surrounding the cemetery. Nope. Which is like really wonderfully creepy, in my opinion. And back when they were investigating in the 90s, Ed and Lorraine came to the conclusion that the spirit that they called Red Eyes was that of a man named Earl Kellogg, who they claim was burned to death across the street from the cemetery in 1935.
1: Was he um, related to the Kellogg's of the Kellogg cereal company? (laughs) I'm
0: so glad you asked. I can't find anything on an Earl Kellogg at all. And I spent... Hours looking for it. Could not find anything about a person burned to death in 1935. The only accounts of an Earl Kellogg in 1935 I could find were out in Colorado, so definitely not Connecticut. I could find nothing about an Earl Kellogg. Okay. Maybe it was a
1: middle name that he went by.
0: I did consider that. I did. There's nobody in Union Cemetery with that name. I looked at some cemeteries around there from like Mm findagrave.com. I can't find anything. No news articles of anybody being burned alive in the street. Or the woods. <laughs> Cannot find anything on Earl Kellogg. Okay. So unlike the other situation, not even like uh, this is the name of some person, but they did that didn't happen to them. Like just nothing at all about an Earl Kellogg. And the only, like, and this information keeps getting regurgitated as people keep telling these stories. Right. But really, the only account of Earl Kellogg seems to be what the Warrens told people in the 90s. So, Mm. couldn't find anything about him. But supposedly, those are his red eyes.
1: Why are his eyes
0: red? So... Of the two haunters of Union Cemetery, I think Red Eyes is almost entirely made up. And there's... It sounds a little suspicious. The reason why I think that gets even more ridiculous. (laughs) Okay. So, and I don't know how far back this Mm -hmm. goes, but there are all kinds of notes on, like, articles from 2011 and more recent that make a comment about how you should not get Red Eyes confused with the bicycle reflectors that are around the perimeter of the cemetery. Ah. Which to me, I'm like, so you're seeing bicycle
1: reflectors? That's exactly what you're seeing. And
0: some people were like, oh, the locals put them around the cemetery to scare teens because of the red eyes legend. But as anyone who lives in New England knows, it's not uncommon for the perimeter of properties to have either orange poles or reflectors on poles around them, so that snowplows don't destroy your property when they come through trying to find the road when it snows. Exactly. So my brain was like, "These are probably safety reflectors,
1: so that the the grave keepers
0: yeah know like know where, where the edges go. of the property are." And I just don't think I don't think red eyes is real.
1: I'm a little sad that red eyes isn't real.
0: Yeah, I mean. <laughs> It was like to me the idea of red eyes is way creepier than a lady in white, like yeah. just these like kind of disembodied eyes in the in the shrubs. But I think of the two of them, I think that one's real, not real. <laughs> yeah, so. Aside from these two things, like I mentioned before, these ghost hunters hear disembodied voices. They Some of them say they hear screaming. They feel cold spots. The hair on the back of their neck stands up. Are these cemeteries in, like, neighborhoods? So, the Union Cemetery is, like, a crossroads, and I think it's kind of in the middle of nowhere, actually. Okay. Because... The Stepney Cemetery, where the second lady in mm-hmm. white one was, is about four and a half miles long. There's only a couple of roads that intersect that four and a half miles, and it looks like it's mostly trees. I think we're out kind of in like Connecticut farm country at this mm-hmm. point, so there's not, it's not like in the neighborhood. Okay, because I was gonna
1: say it could be like kids screaming, or but then also if yeah. it's like surrounded by woods, like people hang out in the
0: woods. Yep, so do animals, <laughs> like it could be anything, right? And some people have said they photographed, like, different mists and orbs. I don't Mm. know. I live in New England. It's foggy sometimes. I just, I... I mean, sometimes if I take a
1: picture of my house, I get orbs because I don't dust frequently. I was
0: going to (laughs) say that's the other thing. Like, to me, any image with an orb, I'm like, okay, but when was the last time you cleaned your camera lens? So, I don't know. I, I don't put any stock in orb photography. Now, if you, like, recorded an orb flying around, like, maybe... Maybe, but even then I would be like, is that dust in the air? (laughs) Like, okay, that one's not on your camera lens, but... So, I don't know. The footage that the Warrens captured of the lady in white is very intriguing. I'm just not entirely sure how accurate it is. I don't want to speak too disparagingly about it. Tony Sparrow is still out there kind of doing the, kind of continuing the legacy of the Warrens, and they very much believe this to be real footage, so I don't want to be too disparaging about it, but... I mean, you're entitled to your own opinion. I'm just... There's no proof that it's not somebody that they were with walking along the tombstones at night. So, and yeah. the the photograph or the video is very grainy. It's hard to tell. She doesn't look overly transparent to me, so... I'm like, it could be a person. I don't know. That's definitely for people to watch and come to their own (laughs) conclusions about. But so this kind of left me all kinds of things. Say that the Union Cemetery is one of the most haunted cemeteries in the U.S. And I'm like, we have two recorded instances of the Lady in White. And I guess some people talk about red eyes. But I'm like, is this all it takes to be the most haunted cemetery? I don't know. (laughs) I feel like with the amount of people buried in cemeteries, there's got to be one more haunted. I just haven't found it yet. And could these be fabrications of the Warrens? I can't help but think about when we talked about the conjuring and like this whole the house is haunted by Bathsheba. And it's like, yeah, Bathsheba was a real person, but like none of the rest of this aligns. So I don't know if I believe that it's the most haunted cemetery. I would like to go check it out. It looks very cool. Yeah, I've seen pictures of it. I would love to go check it out. I think everybody should check out the video. The video does have Tony Spera talking in the beginning, telling you kind of a little bit of the history behind it, and then he shows the, the clips from it. But it also, I think, for me, doesn't help that, like I mentioned before, the woman in white's not... It's a pretty universal legend. It's not something specific to New England. It's not something specific to this cemetery. Mm-hmm. And it kind of follows right in line with all the other legends. It's right. always a young woman. She's always died tragically. She's always sad about something. She's always in white with long hair. Like, this feels almost to me more like power of suggestion than yeah. it does like, I think an that's actual even, haunting.
1: I think that's even the description they use for, like, Mercy Brown.
0: Yeah, it's very universal. And it, I mean, so part of it does come from, as I was reading, like, historically, people were buried in like white burial gowns. So like, if you were to see the ghost of most buried people at that point in time in history, they would be in white gowns. But I don't know. I just very cool legend. Yes. Yes. I'm just not sure it's actually haunted. And that's why it's a legend. <laughs> that's why it's a legend, yes. I will say I came out of this kind of interested to do more research on the par- the parent. keep calling them the Perrins, um, the, the Warrens. I think I didn't really realize before I jumped into this research that they were actually from Connecticut. I knew they had a lot to do with things in New England, but like... I don't think it clicked that they're also from new england
1: well no because they did things like out in new york too which i they know is did. close to yeah. new england but not part of new
0: england very true i mean as a new englander that was like drilled into our heads in school like new york is not part of new england and rhode island is not part of new york <laughs> <laughs> neither is connecticut but yeah so i mean i don't well, know in my
1: episode next week we're going to talk about connecticut and new york so maybe <laughs> maybe they're the same thing <laughs>
0: But yes, yeah, so, I mean, I'd love to see more on the Warrens. I'd love to dive deeper into the stuff that they had their hands in. I don't want to speak disparagingly about them. I'm just not sure that Union Cemetery has as much going on as it, as I would think it would need to be claimed the most haunted cemetery. Fair. But yeah, so that's what I uh, have for today. That. That was interesting. I hope you enjoyed my storytelling. (laughs) I very much enjoyed your storytelling. Yeah, check out the video on YouTube of The Lady in White. You can check out Rod's account of everything that happened in their book, Graveyard. She's obviously scarier than Stephen King because it's true. And we'll have links to things in the show notes. That's all for today. Sounds good. All right. We hope you enjoyed today's look at the Union Cemetery in Easton, Connecticut. Tune in next week for a tale of the Connecticut witch trials. We're going to keep it in the state for another week. It's going to be a good one, I think. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook
1: at Myth and Macabre. If you have any stories that you'd like to hear us cover, or if you have any stories that you want to share, or if you just want to say hi, feel free to send us an email at mythandmacabre at gmail.com. Bye.